fight And we don't have to kill Everybody in the whole wide world Really just needs to chill No, we don't have to fuss No, no, no We don't have to fight Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Just Chill with Oliver George. This is episode 51, and this is actually an extremely special episode to me. I will elaborate on that in a second, but before I do, I want to remind you if you're watching on YouTube and you would prefer an audio-only version of this conversation, you can get that on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and many other places like that. However, if you're listening to me and you didn't know that there was a visual side to this show, then I would encourage you and ask you to please come check it out on YouTube. However you do choose to enjoy the episode, though, if you could please subscribe, follow, share, like, any of that stuff really helps out a lot. I'm just trying to grow this channel from the ground up. So if you've already supported me, thank you so much. It really does mean a lot to me. Finally, if you want to reach out to me, maybe you've got a cool guest idea or just some general feedback about the show, you can hit me up at justchillpodcasting at gmail.com. Now, as I was saying, uh, this episode is so special to me. I had the chance to sit down and talk with Kelly Noel, who is the younger sister of Bradley Noel, who was the frontman and musical genius behind Sublime. And anyone who knows me knows that Sublime has been my favorite band since I was into music. And I was always strumming away on my guitar and playing their CDs and I just obsessed really. And so I can't even begin to describe what it, this whole interview meant to me and just how amazing it was to be able to sit down and talk to Kelly. I actually reached out to Kelly like a decade ago on Facebook just as a super fan of Sublime and she was so sweet to me. Um, but being able to have a real conversation was just on the next level. Uh, and of course, uh, the 25th anniversary of Bradley's tragic and untimely passing is on May 25th, which is the day after this episode is going up. So, um, I was glad that we were also able to talk about all the work she's doing with Bradley's House, which is a, a center that they're opening to help people with opioid addiction, musicians specifically, regardless of financial status, um, just in honor of Bradley and try to help people that may be struggling with some of the same things that he uh, ultimately succumbed to, unfortunately. Um, so like I said, I can't even begin to describe what this episode means to me. Um, she preferred doing an audio only interview. And obviously, I want to make my guests comfortable. So rather than bore you with a one sided zoom interview with just me, I uh, actually thought it would be way cooler to come up with a, like a slideshow of sublime and Bradley images and just sort of to accompany our conversation. So I hope you enjoy this experience as much as I did. And I hope you find it as magical as I did, because really, I'm still just uh, speechless that I had this opportunity. So thank you so much much this is so cool just to be able to talk to you i feel like i kind of know you because uh i've had a lot of facebook messages back and forth with you and uh yeah. i actually i had all my research done but I, that was the last thing i just checked now was how long ago was it that i messaged you and it was march of 2010 was wow uh, yeah, over a decade ago that was like right what is that right when i got on facebook I think that was right around the time I got on Facebook. It must have been because I wouldn't wow. have been surprised if I had searched for you before, you know. Um, that's crazy. Well, that's the like growing up in Canada. I mean, there were sublime fans here, but it's it was nowhere near like what you guys must have had in California. You know, I always felt right. Um, somewhat unique in that that being my favorite band. I knew a few other people, but I also would meet people who had no idea who they were. Um, mm -hmm. And just being able to talk to you and get in touch with you was so huge because it almost felt like um, a fairy tale or something every time I would get into Sublime's music because it was, you know, the the beach and the and the palm trees and all this stuff is so far from Canadian winters. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Where in Canada are you? I'm in Ottawa, nation's capital. Oh, goodness. So yeah, you're way on the other side. 
Yes, the East Coast. We're kind of like uh, the Washington, D.C. of Canada, so to speak, with uh, parliament buildings and all that. Oh, nice. Is yeah. that where you're originally from? Yeah, I'm born and raised here. I've done a bit wow. of exploring, but uh, not too much, actually. I'd like to travel more once all this nonsense is over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you again for taking the time to talk with me. I got to start with that. Um, I, I don't even know where to begin. I have so many questions for you, uh, obviously about Bradley and about Sublime. I also gathered some questions off of Reddit because one thing I've found about the Sublime community online is that they're mainly amazing people. And yeah. there's so much love and so much love for the music that I had to reach out and give some people that opportunity to, to ask you stuff. So um, we'll get to that first. But before we get in any of that, I want to talk about the, the really relevant new stuff that you're doing with the Noble Family Foundation and with Bradley's House, um, because it's just so important. And it's obviously poignant with uh, the tragic anniversary of your brother's passing coming up in a couple of weeks. So right. um, I wanted to just get to know a bit more about it. I, I know it's supposed to be a six bed recovery facility in Laguna Beach, I believe. And uh, Laguna you... Beach area. Yeah, near there. And actually, okay. most likely in San Juan Capistrano, which is right next to Laguna. Okay. I am not super familiar with uh, California locales, but uh, mm. I am very supportive of this idea because you're going to be helping struggling musicians with opioid addictions, regardless of their financial status and helping them. Well, th I love the quote from uh, Todd, actually, where there's a will, there's a way out. Yeah. Really yeah. Profound words, you know? So I wanted to know what's the current status on, on the facility. <laughs> Well, we're still raising money. It's taken longer than we'd hoped. We're, our budget to open and operate for the first year is $750,000. And we have about, I think we're almost up to 175000 now. Wow, that's still impressive. So, yeah, it's, you know, considering we started, we've always been just super grassroots, didn't really know what we were going to do to make it happen, mm. but, you know, just had a desire to help and figured if we could somehow use the, you know, the connections that we had and the name recognition to somehow, you know, bring the resources together, that that would be a really awesome thing. And so we didn't really, you know, start this with any big grand um, plan necessarily, except that we knew what our end goal was, and that's to open Bradley's house. So we've just kind of been going wherever the opportunities take us. And it's just, it's really been an incredible ride so far. We're coming up this July will be four years wow. and um, so much has happened in the last four years. And of course the biggest stuff is just within the last nine months when we've had um, the house that Bradley built album that yes. came out from law records. And that's been a real game changer for us. Yeah, that's uh, such a great album. I was actually going to ask you what was your favorite part of that album coming together because there's oh. so many amazing artists included on that. Right. Well, it was cool because I did get to ask some of my friends to be on it, which I thought was really fun. And, um, but it, you know, I mean, it was, it was totally the brainchild of Paul Milbury, who's the, the general manager of law records. And I met him for the first time at Cali roots in, I always want to say last year, but it was 2019. It was the last Cali roots I went to. Um, we were supposed to go again last year, but of course it got canceled and yeah. <laughs> this year's got canceled. So we're stoked to go next May. But um, I met him for the first time at Cali roots and he said, you know, we, he was a huge sublime fan. He said, law records would love to do something for the foundation, but you know, we're super busy right now, maybe in the fall. And I thought, okay, well, that's great. You know, sometimes people will say things and they don't pan out, which is fine. You know, everyone's got great intentions, but 
come fall in October, he reached out to me and said, Hey, can we get together? I've got some ideas. So we sat down and he laid out his idea for the album. And I said, you know, if you can make that happen, absolutely. Cause we'd sort of just lightly talked about doing something like that over the years, but I certainly don't know the first thing about putting an album together. And my dad doesn't know anything about, you know, I mean, it's, that's a yeah, real undertaking. For sure. And um, so, you know, when he said he wanted to do it, I thought, wow, this is actually someone that could do it. So I gave him my blessing and just said, you know, tell me what, what I can do. Tell me what you need. And he just ran with it. I mean, he did such, I still, still can't believe it to this day. It's just surreal because he literally just pulled the whole thing together so quickly and in such a beautiful way that was honoring to Brad's memory and honoring to the foundation and honoring to my family. It just was done so incredibly well. And all of the people involved donated their time and all the proceeds go to the foundation. And it's just, the whole thing has like, been mind-boggling. He copied me on all the emails. So I would see all these emails going back and forth, some of them from <laughs> bands that I didn't know personally. And I was like, oh my gosh, like That's I was awesome. freaking out. Yeah. yeah, it was really cool. So, um, you know, just seeing the whole thing come together. And then we had the the double vinyl that came out last September, I believe. I believe it was September. Gosh, I'm getting all my my months confused now. But anyway, last, last fall, I believe. And um, that was re remarkable. We had, I think, like 25 different tracks on two vinyl. And then in January, we came out with a three CD disc set that has those same 25 songs plus another 30 something songs. Oh, my God. So, I haven't heard yeah. that one yet. Oh, yeah. It's phenomenal. There's so many. I think there's like 55 tracks altogether. It's really mind blowing. And there's it's such a great combination of artists that were inspired by Sublime and some that were inspirations of Sublime's. Mm, so that's, that's really cool. cool to have those on there too. You know, like Jim Lindbergh of Pennywise and the Descendants and, you know, they're doing their own songs that Sublime had covered. Yeah. So it's just really cool. We have Half Pine on there doing Levin, which is where Brad got the, the refrain for what I got. And yep. So it's just, yeah, it's just a really neat combination of, of newer bands and older bands and, but everybody just doing it out of the love that they have for Brad and Sublime. And that, that to me, just the whole concept itself is so overwhelming and, and beautiful. Spectacular. Was, yeah. Yeah. And I was really stoked. I think that really speaks to uh, like what I was saying before the fan community for Sublime. I think the internet oh, has really yeah. helped connect those people. And now they're all coming out of the woodwork and you realize how many Sublime fanatics are really out there. I used to think, you know, there, there weren't that many of us, but it seems there's a ton and I couldn't be happy. <laughs> totally. People yeah, like no, um, on the Facebook groups, I know I wanted to shout out to Reed Clough and Eddie Villa because those guys are always posting like footage no one's seen and pictures yeah. no one's seen. And it's it's such a treasure to be able to have these new, what feels like new Sublime, even though these are old photos and stuff. But for a diehard fan that's always scouring the internet, trying to find every little morsel, you know, it's it feels like a goldmine what's been coming out in the internet lately. So Absolutely. Well, I, I like the way you put it. It really, the internet connected all the Sublime fans and that's such a great great thing to be able to, to have everybody be able to, you know, feed off of that and share that stuff. And, um, it, it and it's absolutely true. Reed and Eddie are amazing. There's, there's a handful of people that are such like historians of the band that when I have a question, I go to one of them because they know so much and they, <laughs> well, you know, thorough, yeah. yeah, they really, it's incredible. Like they can see a picture of Brad and know what show it was from based yeah. on which tattoos he has and what version. I know. Of I used to think was I was playing. so, so hardcore. <laughs> and then I see those guys and they put me to shame. Yeah. They're amazing. They're really amazing. 
Well, and what you guys are doing with Bradley's house and the album is just so nice because obviously when someone passes away, but especially from under the circumstances that Bradley passed away, it's so tragic and it's so nice to be able to try and find um, some sort of a silver lining or a positive outcome to that, that you can try and help other people avoid that same outcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's no way to, um, to take away the pain when something like that happens, but it does, it does help. It's very healing to do something positive in regards to that, you know, so, so being able to help other people and, you know, even before we have the house open, I, I get messages all the time from people that are either looking for help and we can give them referrals or, you know, they just want to share their story and and know that someone understands. And it's just incredible. The number of people that have reached out to me and I've been able to, um, you know, share that pain with them and, and just, you know, let them know, I understand what you're going through. And, and that really, you know, it really does, means something to know that someone understands. And so mm. that's been a really cool thing too. I, um, and I don't want to try to compare this in any way to the pain that people must've felt who actually knew Bradley, but I, I got into sublime when I was about 13, I want to say grade nine. Wow. Um, it, it was 99. So he was already passed away, unfortunately. And I remember, um, like I was lucky enough, even to this day to not have had to deal personally with a lot of death, um, you know, with people very close to me, mm. but especially when I was that age, I still had all four of my grandparents. Um, so I really hadn't had any kind of brush with that. And when I found out after falling in love with their music and I found out that he had passed away, which I wasn't privy to, um, like it was soul crushing. It was, he was mm. the first person that I really mourned. And I still do to this day because his music had such an impact on me and, I don't know. It was just something about the whole everything. The more I dug into the band, the more research I did, the more it just sucked me in. And I just wish I could have met him. And I wish I could have told him how much uh, everything he's put out there has really inspired me to pick up a guitar and sing. And, and you know, it's, and I, I know so many other people feel the exact same way. So it's, it's just beautiful to see people connecting uh, in their love of Sublime. Absolutely. You know, every day I wish that he was here to see his son, to see my kids, you know, his family, mm. and also to see how much people still love and remember him. And it's, I think that is just a true testament to what he accomplished that, you know, here almost 25 years later, since he passed, we're still talking about him. People's lives are still impacted by him. They're still listening to the music. You know, what he and Bud and Eric accomplished is really remarkable. And at the time, I don't, I don't think they could have possibly foreseen it. I know, you know, they, they were working hard and they, they certainly deserve all the success that they got, but I just, I think it's impossible to really, you know, project this far in the future and totally comprehend mm. what it would be like. And so I just, I, it really, it's, it saddens me that Brad's not here to see it, but it's such, um, it's just, it's very heartwarming to know that, you know, that other people miss him. Um, we used to go to the cemetery on his birthday and the anniversary of his death. And a few years after he died, other people started showing up. And I thought it was so strange. Like, what are these people doing here? I didn't, I didn't get it. You know, I just, I didn't totally understand. And, and now um, there's always big crowds there. And so like I, pilgrimage I don't, every year. yeah, yeah. So I don't actually go on those days just cause you know, it's kind of a personal thing and it's hard mm -hmm, for me, mm -hmm. but, but I so appreciate the fact that so many people do go and do remember him. Um, it just, I just think it's the coolest thing. I am um, just the fact that, that his music is still impacting people enough that they would want to go do that you know i mean it's it's one thing to listen to music but to actually you know get up and go and seek out his grave and that kind of thing is just i just think it's really wonderful 
I remember wanting to uh, make the trip down myself, but then I had kids in my early twenties and that kind of went out the window, <laughs> but uh, they change everything, don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying about not really predicting or being able to maybe imagine where his fame would go in, in the future this far in advance. Um, part of that, obviously, because their breakthrough album came out, unfortunately, after he passed away. But also, as I've mentioned on this show before, I don't think there was a more transformative decade in technological advancement, at least with uh, social media and all that kind of stuff, than there was between 95 and 2005. So really, sure. they, they kind of just missed the crest of that wave that I think a lot of bands sort of really kicked off on. Yeah, that's a great point. Just being able to connect their fans sort of uh, mm -hmm. more distant, far in between. Um, well, yeah. one other really cool thing that I think has come out of this is that now you're doing a podcast also titled <laughs> Bradley's House. I and am. That's I've caught crazy. a few episodes. You're a natural and your co-host, Carrot, oh, or he seems like he, a, a diehard Sublime fan. which is He's wonderful. He's the whole reason the podcast exists. He was the one who came up with the idea and he approached me and I thought, hell no. I mean, there's no way I have time to do it. I, I run the foundation full-time and I also have a full-time job to pay my bills and I'm a single mom. And I just, I, you know, working 80 hours a week, I thought there's absolutely no way I can add one more thing, but I didn't want to tell him no right away. So I figured I'd wait about a week to uh, let him down easy. And then, you know, I told him, I just, you know, I don't really have the time. This won't, you know, just not, not a good fit for me right now. And so he said, well, you know, can we just have a, a conversation on the phone? So I, Okay, fine. So we talked on the phone and I have to warn you, he's a salesman boy. He just, I mean, just the way he explained it, I'm just like, you know what? You're right. It would be great for the foundation. It would be a great way to generate some revenue through sponsorships and get the word out. And so I said, okay, fine. It's, you know, we'll do it every other week. And then a few months in, we started doing it every week. And so now it's a weekly thing. Podcasting's and addictive, right? It, well, you know, it's just, it's a, it has been so great for getting the word out and so great for True, engaging yeah. people. And, um, you know, we're starting to get some sponsors and that brings in revenue for the foundation. So, uh, you know, I can't, I can't really say no to anything that's going to get us one step closer to opening the house. Well, and it's so cool too for, for big fans because these kinds of interviews that you're doing now, we used to have to try and get, you know, like you'd get snippets of it on uh, the documentaries that they put out, like uh, Story Tales, sure. Lies and Exaggerations, and mm -hmm. um, 94 to 96. I remember getting those DVDs and every yeah. tiny morsel of information you could get was so, so cool. And now you can listen to, you know, Miguel or mm -hmm. Roz MG for like two yeah. hours telling you all this cool <laughs> stuff. And it's, it's just mind blowing. They're great storytellers, aren't they? Oh, yeah. I can't wait. Yeah. I, I've only listened to a few, but I really want to listen to one with Jacob and Miles from oh. Totally Stupid. You yeah, got, you had stellar guests. Um, Thank which you. brings me to my question. Is there a guest that you're extremely eager to have on your show in the future? Ooh, that's a great question. You know, we do have a list of people that we're, we're looking at having on, um, but I feel really fortunate that I've already had the opportunity to have some of my favorite musicians on. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them happened totally by accident. I was asked because of the the House the Bradley Belt album, I was, you know, asked to do different interviews for podcasts and print media and that kind of thing. And um, one of the requests came from a podcast in the UK called Punks in Pubs. And um, it was a guy named Liam Bird, really great guy. And I was, you know, had a great conversation with him. It was really wonderful. And then I was looking through some of his past guests. And one of them was a musician that I've been a huge fan of for about 10 years named Frank Turner. And he's like this folk punk 
artist over in the UK and I've, my kids and I've seen him like half a dozen times. And so I mentioned to Liam, oh, you know, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Frank's. That's so cool that you've had him on the show. And he said, well, if you'd like, I can introduce you and you can see if he'll do you, your show. And I was like, yeah, right. So anyway, he sent an email of introduction and, and sure enough, Frank was down to do it. So I was able to interview him and that was my fangirl moment. You know, all these <laughs> sublime related ones are all for Jarrett. <laughs> He's the one that, you know, knows the questions to ask and stuff, the sublime related stuff. But on that one, I don't know that he even got two words in edgewise because I was just, I was so excited to be talking to Frank. And that was just, that was a really cool moment for me. It's still kind of um, unbelievable to me that it happened, but yeah, that was really fun for That's me. That's amazing. Uh, it's yeah. actually funny that you say that because one of the guys I had uh, talked to on Reddit here spoke about that specifically. He wanted you to know that the fan base in the UK for Sublime is as strong as ever. And he really Sorry. enjoyed your interview with Frank Turner and says you're ah. a legend for everything you do with the foundation. That was, uh, oh, who's awesome. got your belly? Who's got your belly 42 on Reddit? Oh, that's very cool. I love that somebody else enjoyed that episode. Yeah. Too. Yeah. I mean, it was when you mentioned episode. it, I had to say. Yeah. I just figured, you know, a lot of people around here don't know his music very well. And so I was excited to be able to, you know, share it with a new audience if possible. And so, yeah, I've heard from a few people that enjoyed it and who had heard of him. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. That was a definitely a highlight for me. I'm sure people are wondering if you're going to have Butter Eric on or and or. <laughs> Are you, do you keep in touch with, with those guys or? Um, I haven't seen Eric in a really long time. I saw Bud uh, a couple years ago, I think. Um, they made a sublime documentary and premiered this is what it. I was going to ask you about. Yeah. yeah. They premiered it at the Tribeca film festival. So my dad and I went back there to, to New York for the, the showing and, um, and Bud was there and it's the last time I saw him, but yeah, it was, it was good. I thought they did a good job. It just, it hasn't been released yet. I, I know I was going to ask, I heard, <laughs> yeah, so I many heard people were, are hounding me. You got to ask her about uh -huh. the documentary. <laughs> yeah. They're still looking for a distribution deal. You know, it's got nothing to do with the family or, you know, the foundation or anything that's all on, um, sublimes management company and, um, who, you know, they hire to, to, handle all their affairs and the licensing and the yeah. management and all that kind of stuff. And so they're the ones who put the whole project together. And of course we helped out um, because I wanted to, you know, if they're going to make a documentary about my brother, I certainly want to make course, sure it's the yeah. best it can be. And um, so that, you know, so many fans were great, including Reed and Eddie and uh, my friend Luve. And there's just so many people that are big collectors of sublime memorabilia and know a lot of the history they were gracious to help out and they just, you know, shared so much of their knowledge and their time. And, and so I really hope that the, the documentary comes out because, you know, they haven't even had a chance to see it. I have, I have no way to see it except, you know, when I, when I saw it at the premiere. So um, yeah, I hope it comes out, but that's, that's all I know. Yeah. It seems a little strange. I don't think anyone thought it was going to take like a couple of years to find a distributor, you know? Yeah. They said the first year was tough because there were a lot of music documentaries that came out. Mm. So the competition was really difficult. And COVID and I'm sure doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then the, right. The next year COVID yeah. hit. So, um, you know, I don't, I certainly don't know any of the, the behind the scenes details on that. I just know that they, they haven't found the distribution deal that, you know, that they're looking for yet. So, so people just have to keep waiting. I guess. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say the or, pandemic you know, listen to the podcast. Sorry. <laughs> or listen to the podcast. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I was going to say the pandemic probably uh, contributed to, you know, n not the greatest um, funding 
like reaching your funding goals and stuff must have come slowing down a bit because everyone's budgets you know, were really tight when everyone was losing their jobs and the whole that's thing. what we expected but because of the album it last year was our best year yet oh amazing that's great yeah and and you know and at that point really at the end of 2020 we'd only gotten uh, have we had we even gotten I'm not sure that we'd even gotten any of the proceeds from the album yet, but just because of the increased visibility and the exposure, it was a tremendous year for us. So, so yeah, which just blew my mind. I mean, we, prior to that, everything that we'd done was all, you know, going to shows and music festivals and selling merchandise on our website and that kind of thing. And um, the last we let's see, we had February of last year was super crazy for us. We had like two music festivals and three shows, you know, and it, it was, it was crazy, uh, which doesn't seem like much, but it's a lot when, you know, you're working two full-time jobs oh, in definitely. addition to all of that. Yes. And so um, it was just such a whirlwind and then everything shut down. And our, our last show, I think was the end of February. And we thought, oh gosh, you know, we're not going to have any way to get out there and spread the word and, you know, sell merch and that kind of thing. But, but as soon as things started, um, you know, with the promotions for the album and stuff in summertime, everything just picked up and we started getting more um, traffic on our website, more merchandise sales and, you know, so much more happening on social media and people donating and that kind of thing. It was, it, like I said, it was our best year, which is really mind blowing, but. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. I'm going to yeah. make sure obviously to link uh, the appropriate links so people can go and donate and try to contribute. I know my audience is still growing, but hopefully a few people will pitch in. Well, thank you. I appreciate you doing that. Uh, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I fully believe in this and I hope everything does get funded. And I know it will. And I really don't think oh, it'll same. take us as long to get to our goal as it has to get to this point, you know, because so much of what we've done was just spreading the word and, and, you know, raising awareness and so hopefully with the increased exposure from the album and all that, we'll be able to get it done sooner. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The ball's already rolling for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I am going to pick your brain with some sublime slash Brad questions just because right. I, how I'll could I not, right? Yeah. This is a dream come true. Um, <laughs> I wanted to know anyone who's listened to Brad's music knows that he is constantly sampling things and covering things. He had a mm -hmm. ton of influences and most of them were, you know, well-communicated, but I wanted to know if there were any artists or bands that he was really into that might surprise people. Oh, that's a good question. Well, we grew up listening to all kinds of different music, which I think is a big reason why there's so much variety in the sounds of sublime. Mm. Um, our, our whole family was super musical and so even extended family. So music was just a real big part of, of our lives and all different kinds. I mean, you know, in the seventies, our parents were super into folk music and um, around 1980, dad got into country for a little while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's all kinds of stuff. And at the family parties, we would sing all kinds of music. Um, you know, a lot of the standards that my grandparents grew up with and, you know, all the way up to like and stuff by Peter, Paul and Mary and like everything mm. in between. And so, um, so there was a lot of that. There was never this sense of, you know, you just have to find that one niche and stick to it kind of a thing. Stay I think, in your lane. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, when we're growing up, we sort of, we're, we're attracted to a certain music genre and we sort of stick with that and um, it can be very limiting. And well, anyway, many genres I, come with like an associated persona too, like your punk yes. or your hip hop or your, you know, right. Yeah. It's an identity, you know, exactly. You're exactly right. And so it, I think it can be, um, 
it can be difficult sometimes for people to really, you know, branch out from that and experiment with that. But, but for us, there was never any of that sense. It was just music is music, you know, so listen to what you like. And one day it might be one thing and another day it might be another thing where, you know, even within the hour, the chosen music, it could be, you know, five different genres. So there were all kinds of things that, that we grew up listening to. And I think that that's pretty obvious in Sublime's music. Yeah. He, um, for some reason, the one thing that sticks out in my mind, I remember him, um, I think I must've been in junior high and he was telling me about the dead Kennedys. Okay. And I was just a punk band, you know, and I just, for some reason, I, I was a very, very naive child. And I just was mortified that someone had a song like <laughs> Holiday in Cambodia. Like it just was, and he thought that it was hysterical that I was so disturbed by it. So um, <laughs> that sticks out in my mind a lot, but I don't think it's that surprising. No, you know, no, that really, Brad but... was into punk bands and, and, you know, reggae and, but there's, there's a lot of stuff that gets sampled in his music that, you know, maybe wasn't something he necessarily listened to a lot like George Gershwin, you know, yeah. he uses several different Gershwin samples and, um, you know, it wasn't something that he was necessarily listening to, but it was something that he was aware of because of, you know, just the super varied yeah, his music that was taste. going on. Yeah, 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 exactly. Amazing. Well, uh, sort of on the same, you know, alley as that last question, I want to say, uh, or I wanted to know rather, uh, is there an artist or group that's emerged since he passed away that you think he would absolutely love? Oh, God, that's a tough question, because I certainly don't want to exclude anybody. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, not to play think, favorites, but yeah, I, someone I huge, think, you know? Yeah. You know, I just I really think the fact that there are so many bands that have been influenced by Sublime's music, yes. that that would really be um, that would be a mind blowing thing for him, you know, because it's it's one thing to to have a band that you like, but it's another thing to have a band that's like really influenced by by what you've created, you know, mm. and, and the fact that there really is a whole genre of music that came out of what sublime created, um, you know, that, that means that there's, there are hundreds and thousands of bands to choose from that, that all have a similar style, but give it their own spin. Yeah. And, um, and I think that that would be the most incredible thing for him to realize. I think I always thought it'd be so cool if he could listen to slightly stupid's discography, seeing as how he set them on the path Sort yeah. of where they are now, not only with oh, influencing absolutely. them, but he saw potential in them and he, he gave them his vote of confidence, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's definitely been quite a ride for them too. And, you know, who, who knows? I'm sure they, they would have found a way to, to make it big regardless, but I think it's really cool that Brad was oh, yeah, they're hand extremely in that. talented musicians on their yeah, own. For sure. Yeah. And I was actually guys. supposed to see slightly stupid. We drove down to Jersey in i want to say 2013 summer of and uh they canceled the concert because they said oh. there was going to be a storm with lightning and it didn't even end up raining a drop <laughs> <gasps> you're kidding yeah oh, i mean we went to six flags we were doing a couple other things in jersey so it wasn't like the oh, whole good. trip was ruined but it, it yeah. was a bummer what for sure you sure disappointing yeah um i want to know because lou dog was such a extremely special to brad obviously but he became like a mascot for the band and i wanted to know what made the connection so deep was it that you guys had a, a dog growing up and he was recapturing that or was it that you never had a pet and he finally got to have a dog mm, that's a very good question oliver actually <laughs> we grew up with all kinds of animals we grew up with dogs and cats and bunnies and fish and somehow snakes not surprised and rats and mice and <laughs> <laughs> Literally, we had all of those for pets. So um, having animals was just a very natural, normal thing. And Brad always 
he was always the kind of person that liked to have somebody there with him, whether it was a girl or a dog, he just, he didn't like to be alone. He just liked, you know, he didn't have to necessarily be doing anything super exciting, Mm. but he just didn't like to be alone. And so I think having, um, a, a pet for a companion was just a very natural thing for him. And, um, you know, especially our dogs of, of all the animals, our dogs were definitely the biggest, um, presence in our childhood. Uh, Our first dog that we had, well, when I was born, the first one, I was nine months old and we got an old English sheepdog puppy and Brad named her little Miss Muffet. So he was, (laughs) he was about three and named her little Miss Muffet after the nursery rhyme. So we had Muffy for 13 years. And, um, and so she was a big part of our growing up. And so, and then we, you know, had a, a string of animals after that. And, um, my dad had some dogs that he loved. And so when Brad got Louie, it was during a time, um, I think I'm trying to remember exactly when he got him, but I think it was a time when, um, he wasn't living at home anymore. And I, I pretty sure dad still had a dog or two, but, um, it was sort of happened by accident. Brad just heard about this guy who had a Dalmatian and, um, he was working all the time. So he'd leave Louie, uh, in his bathroom, in his apartment. And Brad just thought that was horrible. He felt yeah, so really. bad for the dog. And so he offered to buy him and the guy sold him to him. And from that moment on, they were inseparable. And I think because that was really the first time Brad had a pet that was solely his, you yeah. know, it wasn't the yeah. family pet. It was just his and, you know, and, and so they just did everything together and went everywhere together. And I remember showing up to shows that they'd be doing it, you know, little dive bars and, if the, if the club owner wouldn't let Louie inside, he would just be sitting there outside the door waiting for him. And, um, it was just crazy. You walk up, see this dog just sitting there waiting. And, um, he just, you know, Louie was just as dependent on Brad as Brad was on him, if not more so. And he got them into quite a bit of trouble sometimes too. It sounded like. <laughs> did. Yeah. You know, I really, I always say pets are like an extension of their owners. And, um, that certainly was the case with Louie. Um, so, but yeah, he did, he did get them into trouble. He, he was not, he could be a very sweet dog, but he was not known for being super friendly. And, um, you know, and I'm sure it was just, a, a because he was around crowds all the time and, and I'm pretty sure he was, you know, had gone deaf, if not um, yeah, almost deaf. From, yeah. Right. So, so it was, you know, probably a little overwhelming from sometimes and he could be yeah. a little unpredictable and um, he didn't like skateboarders and they took him <laughs> on the warped tour and, you know, it just, it, it, the normal average person would be like, this is probably not the best environment for this dog, but Brad didn't give a shit. He just wanted to take the dog with him. So he did. And, um, and a lot of times that would end up with Louie biting somebody or growling at somebody. And, um, you know, it's funny now, I'm sure it wasn't at the time, but, um, (laughs) but they were inseparable. They were, they were really essential to each other's existence. And when Brad passed, Louie was clearly depressed and it was obvious. He just was moping around and, you know, looking for Brad and, um, yeah, it was really sad. Um, wow. That's so cool to share all those stories though. Thank you so much. (laughs) Sure. Um, yeah, it sounds like he was bound to be an animal lover by the way you guys grew up though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I had heard or read that he bit a piece of Todd's lip off. Is that true? (laughs) He, I'm not sure what he bit off. I know Todd had to get stitches. It was when they were filming the date rape video oh. and yeah before they did todd's scene in the bar 
um, Todd was bending down saying hi to Lou Dog, and it was right near the. They had some food set out, and so I don't know if maybe you know uh, he was trying to get the food up, or whatever. Yeah. But anyway, he just kind of bent down to say hi to Louie like he always did. I mean, you know, Louie certainly had no issues with Todd, but he was just kind of unpredictable. Whoa, what's going on? Oliver's shitty laptop. That's what's going on. Yeah, while we were talking, my computer decided to freeze, and I had to reboot everything. Kelly graciously waited uh, while we took a little time out, but we picked up right where we left off. So enjoy. So yeah, Todd was bending down to say hi to Louie and you know, they were, they were friends. Louie knew him. It wasn't, it wasn't like he was a scary person or anything, but maybe because he was standing by the food table or I don't know, for whatever reason, Louie snapped at him and caught part of his face and he had to get stitches. And so they had to postpone the rest of the date rape video shoot. So most people know that the date rape video was shot at Fern's bar, but the remainder of it, the bar scene with the date rapist, which was Todd, um, where he's hitting on the girl that all took place at Sam's seafood in their bar, which was actually in Surfside right across the street from where Brad was living before when he passed away. And, um, It actually was a place that we used to go to when we were kids with my dad for like special occasions. It was like a suit. It wasn't like a super fancy place, but for us it was because at the time, you know, we didn't have a lot of money. And so when we had like a super special occasion, we would go to Sam's Seafood and they had this big like light up sign with a swordfish and all that. So it was a big deal for us when we were kids. So I always thought that that was cool that they ended up shooting part of the bar scene there. That's awesome. Yeah, I definitely didn't know that. So that must have been a few (laughs) weeks later when he had had time to heal up. Right, exactly. I'm not sure how long it was spam, but it definitely was a bit of time so the, you know, stitches could be taken out. And all that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wonder if Louis. he still got a scar from that. You know, that's a great question. I have never thought to ask him that or really to even look for it. But he kind of a he cool a scar, like at least with that story <laughs> behind it, you know. Well, Todd's got lots of stories. Um, oh yes, I, I loved his documentary as well. I thought that was really isn't that fantastic. Stuff. Yeah, was, boy. Yeah. Oh my god! If anyone has not checked that out yet, I yes. highly recommend his documentary. It's called The Long Way Back, as you know, but yeah. just such a phenomenal documentary. And I think it's still available on Amazon and uh, Google Play and iTunes and that kind of thing. Yeah, I bought it off at the Xbox somewhere. Um, yeah, so good. It's it's like some of the facts he was saying about himself. It's a miracle he's still alive. Right. It really is. It's remarkable. (laughs) And that he can function. I mean, I, they thought they seriously thought that he was going to have permanent brain damage and, you know, need assistance for the rest of his life. And yeah. And he's actually the one who came up with the idea for Bradley's house. He's the reason that we started this whole thing and he's on our board of directors and yeah. So he was one one of Brad's best friends, right? He was, he was a a big part of, you know, the whole swine thing. And he was always the, I call him the instigator, the ringleader, the MC. He was, you know, he's, he's just that kind of person even without the drugs. Yeah, exactly. He's the hype man. Even without the drugs, he's the hype man. But you know, with all the drugs, it definitely just amplified all that for sure. Um, it's funny when we were having this brief hiatus here, I was kind of pacing around the room and I started noticing all these sublime things that I have in the studio here. Um, mm. Of course, when people, when we were doing in studio, the first thing they see coming down the stairs is I've got the big uh, 40 ounce circular rug. Um, oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, it really looks great. It fits in here perfectly. But um, I found the old VHS that I probably bought at the local store when I was in high school. I found a, a Zippo that I've got with Bradley playing guitar on it nice these are all my teen relics and then i've got the uh <laughs> the guitar book for the self-titled album which has an inscription from my parents 
uh, from 2001 oh, as a present. That is so, so cool. Yeah. Wow. I, I from 2001. Would, yeah. I would have been, uh, I guess, grade 10 or 11 or something. Oh my gosh. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, I, I do have so many more questions, so I, I want to try and get in as many of these as I can, because this has been so awesome already. Um, bring it on. These you've probably gotten before, but I'm still very interested to know out of the three big studio releases that they did, oh, I guess studio, big studio release doesn't really fit for Robin the Hood. That was all over the place, but the three main albums that they put out, um, which is your personal favorite? And then to add on to that, do you have a favorite song from their entire library? I know it's a big question, but. It is a big question. I, I couldn't say a favorite song. That's really difficult. That's like saying, you know, picking a favorite child. But um, I do have some favorites and they tend to be the older ones that, you know, it's probably just a sentimental favorite because they go way back. You know, I was in college when they started the band. And so when, as soon as Brad gave me a demo tape, that's all I played in my car. And everybody knew if they got in the car with me, they were going to have to listen to this band sublime that nobody knew. And um, because, you know, it was my brother. And so that's what I played. It just was a no brainer for me. Um, So those, you know, would be the songs like don't push and slow ride and that kind of thing. I just love those. Um, Yeah. I love date rape because I remember when he wrote it and he was so excited about it. I know he got a little tired of playing it after a while because you know, that's, that was their big radio hit for a long time. Yeah. And that's all anybody wanted to hear. But when he first started, he was really proud of that. He, I was mortified. I'm like, you can't say those things. <laughs> and he said, it's message music, Kelly. It's message music. Yeah. All right. it's a Which it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you know, at the time I was two and a half years younger. And so, you know, I was just, I was shocked by the things he was saying in the song at the time, but, um, but definitely the 40 ounce to freedom album is my favorite. Um, so, you know, they, they produced 40 ounce and Robin the hood all on their own. And it wasn't until the self-titled that they were, had the backing of a major label. So mm. the fact that, that the 40 ounce album is so solid start to finish True. is, is just really incredible. And it's just, you know, it could be partially a sentimental favorite, but, um, you know, that's, that's kind of what I grew up listening to, so to speak, you know, when it came out, I was in my I'll see. It came out, I think, 92. So I would have been 21, 22 around there. It just, to me, that, you know, the fact, anytime I can listen to an album start to finish and love the whole thing, I think that's an incredible thing. Definitely. And there's, you know, probably half a dozen albums in my lifetime that I can say that about, but 40 Ounce is definitely one of them. Yeah, well, with Robin the Hood, it's a little uh, more awkward if you throw that on at a party because then you've got these <laughs> right. Raleigh soliloquies coming in every once in a while, which are great in awkward. their own right, but it does break up the flow of the music a bit. For sure. Um, 40 Ounce, I would agree, in, is my personal favorite album, partially nice. just because it has so many songs. Uh, you know, like it's like 23 tracks, I think it is. Yeah, it's And huge. they're all over the place. You've got folks mm-hmm. and stuff like Rivers of Babylon. You've got punk yeah. stuff. You've got like, it was just a really great sampling of what Sublime exactly. is all about. Exactly. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah. I mean, not to throw the self-titled album under the bus. No, or anything. they're like, all it's great. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And there's great tracks on Robin Hood. I mean, there, there's a ton mm. of great stuff, but if, if I'm talking overall album, I, I think just because I just connect so much with 40 ounce, if, if you put all three of those albums, albums in front of me and said, which one do you want to listen to first? Yes. I would, I would definitely yeah, I would go for 40 agree. ounce. Second hand yeah. smoke is a, is a pretty close runner up too. Cause I remember just finding that and being like, Oh my God, there's more. I was so, <laughs> I was so like sad. And, and I remember I used to try and like I used to order bootleg DVDs and stuff off eBay because sure, yeah. I, I didn't know where else to get this stuff. And I remember like 
I'm pretty sure I cried the first time I saw like footage of them, like really playing a concert because I had only ever listened to them and I had seen photos of Bradley, but to just see him like animated and, and really like, Oh wow, this is really him. You know, connecting with the music. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. For sure. Yeah. There were a lot, you know, I really love the acoustic album, Bradley's and friends. I love listening to that one because it, it, to me, it seems very personal, you know, to me, that's, Brad sitting on the couch, just strumming his guitar while I'm doing something, you know, it's just like in the mm. background. And so I, I love that for that reason, but you know, all the other albums after the self-titled were all just, you know, put out after he passed away. So it was trying to, you know, pull together whatever recordings they had, anything they could remaster, that kind of thing. So I'm glad, you know, that they had so many, so many albums that they could put out because there was such demand for it, but you know, it's really all just either stuff that, you know, we'd heard before or, you know, rehashings or studio outtakes or random live shows, whatever. And those are all great too, but, you know, start to finish, I got to go with 40 ounce. Yeah. It's uh, the bootlegs and stuff. I think it's all, it almost became in the sublime community. At least I felt this way. Like it was like uh, the stuff of legend, you know, you'd be Mm. like, Oh, (laughs) I heard that MCA has got all this amazing footage from when they were tracking (laughs) self-titled and they don't want to release it because this, that, and the other thing. And, And maybe there's some truth to that, but, um, like I got, I saw something just the other day, maybe a couple months ago now, but it was like a, a party with the Ziggins and it was something I had never seen before. It's just Brad getting up wow. on the mic and all these people hanging out. And then it ends cuts off with them doing like what I got live. You can tell he's starting the guitar oh. and then it just cuts out. And I'm like, somebody probably has that footage, but why is it always so hard to get these things? I don't know. You know, it's weird. It's hard for us to comprehend in this day and age where everyone has a camera in their phone. Yeah. But, you know, back then, even video cameras were not as ubiquitous as phones are now, you know? So, and it, it was not common. You wouldn't like necessarily just show up at a show with a video camera. The camcorder, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, like, it was this bulky, right. I yeah. mean, you know, you had to be very intentional. And so there wasn't this this sense of recording everything you know now when we go to a show and they start playing your favorite song pull out your phone and you record it so you have it you know you probably never even go back and watch it again but it's just the fact that you can and so it's hard to comprehend the fact that there's so little out there of sublime but you know that was that's just how it was back then it wasn't it wasn't that common to do um the last sublime show i ever went to they played they had two sold out nights at the House of Blues on Sunset Boulevard in LA. And uh, we went to the second night and, um, and we hung out before the show with Brad and Troy. And my dad was there, my stepmom and my husband at the time. And we just, you know, we're all hanging out and we had brought our camcorder and because it was a new novelty thing, you know, and <laughs> taking video and stuff. And, you know, so we have a little bit, but it's all grainy and dark. And, you know, it's just, it's not like, like how it is now when you can just pull out your phone and everything's crystal clear. And so it is, it can be very frustrating for, you know, for fans that are wanting to see more, but you know, it's also part of what makes it so magical though. Right. Probably. Yeah. I don't know. At least for me, that's every time I see something new, it it really does take me back and I go, wow, I can't believe there's still more. And it it keeps me hungry for more and and that hope that there's still going to keep being new things unearthed. Yeah. And I'm Um, sure there will be. I mean, I don't, I don't think that there's anything that anyone's really intentionally holding back unless they feel like, you know, maybe they, they just want to keep it to themselves or, mm. you know, I know there's some people that, that are hoping to, you know, that'll be their big score someday or something, but um, yeah, yeah, but you know, I, I certainly know from the family's point of view, we're, we're not sitting on a collection of anything, you know, as soon as he passed away, our, our 
whole attitude was, you know, we want to just share everything we can. We were so thrilled that there were people that wanted to, to be a part of, you know, sublime history and wanted to know and see and things like that. And so, you know, we, we gave a bunch of stuff to the hard rock that they put in, they did a big display at the hard rock hotel in Vegas and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, and so there's really, I, I can't really think of much of anything that we have that people haven't seen except, you know, picture that I have of Brad peeing naked in the woods when he was like six, but, (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, given time, I'll probably post that as well. (laughs) I'm always hoping that there's people, uh, you know, that don't realize they're sitting on something that they filmed something and it's buried in a box from a move or something like that. Sure. Yeah. We can, we can hope. (laughs) That's right. Um, I want to switch to a question that's, you know, maybe not as fun to talk about, but I, I really want to know, I, I'm pretty sure I know how you feel about this because when I was looking through our old messages, I talked to you about this like 10 years ago. So I'm also kind of curious if your opinion on it has altered at all in a decade, but um, what was it like for you when the whole Rome thing started in 2009? Cause I remember just as a fan up in Canada wanting to revolt, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, there's, there's obviously, you know, mixed, um, mixed feelings that people have about that. I think that it's, um, I understand that people want to hear the music played live and, you know, by the people that created it. So, you know, being able to go and, and see Eric play bass on the music that he created, I would imagine is a, is a wonderful thing for, mm-hmm. for fans. You know, I, I get that. I totally get that. Pick a new name. Um, it, I think I think it would have been nice if they had come up with a new name. But again, yeah. you know, I I can't fully appreciate the um, I can appreciate what it was like losing my brother and the devastation that that brought. I can't fully understand what it would be like to have put my heart and soul into a band for you know eight years and and really be able to see things starting to happen and be on the uprise and then have that all just disappear, you know? So I, I really, I try to put myself in, in Bud and Eric's position and, and I totally understand why they wanted to do it and, you know, and, and why it is something that a lot of the fans appreciate. So I don't, I certainly don't think it's any, anything for me to judge whether it's right or wrong. Um, I get it. I get why they did it. I get why people want to see it. I get why people go. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's just an unfortunate thing, you know, if, if Brad were here, he'd be playing his own music. And mm-hmm. I love hearing people cover sublime songs, but it's hard. It's hard for me to hear other people playing his music because I see the the crowd responding and it just makes me sad that he's not here to see it. Yeah. But, um, but I certainly don't begrudge anybody playing music. Yeah. I mean, you made a lot of great points there and, and that's a really healthy attitude towards it, of course, but I, I remember feeling really frustrated just as a fan and thinking if they had just picked a different name, they would have had my full support. And then I heard about, you know, that there was some sort of legal, you know, dispute and where it sounded like Brad had asked or had put it in his will, essentially that they, he didn't want anyone to use that name if he was not part of the band. So when you saw that the ex bandmates were trying to fight that, that really just left a bad taste in my mouth. I remember thinking like, really, you're going to go against, you know, your friend's wishes, but um, it's a complicated situation, of course, like you described. It is. It is. He he trademarked the name, but I I don't think it was ever his thought that, you know, if I die, I don't want them to to reform the band. I certainly don't think that he thought in those terms. He wasn't, he didn't trademark it to keep his bandmates from using the name. He trademarked it to keep other people from using the name. Uh, okay, so, yeah. you know, so it just it becomes a very um 
a very a very muddy thing. He died without a will. He did not have anything oh, okay. in writing about what he wanted. So it's not like he explicitly said, "Do not ever reform as sublime." Hmm. Um, it's just it's a difficult thing when someone dies, and and they're such a big part of the music. You know, he wrote so much of the music and and created it, and and really put so much of himself into it. Uh, just like you know, uh, Eric's bass lines are uniquely Eric's, and yeah. and Bud's drumming is uniquely his. And you know, for a while, Marsh was doing the drumming and Kelly Vargas did some drumming. I mean, they're, you know, and they yeah. all put their unique spin on it. And so to, to replace any one of them, you're going to have issues. But I think with any band, whenever you replace the, the lead singer, the it's man, a different, yeah, yeah different it's a different, story. it gives it a different vibe and it gives it, you know, and so it's hard. It's so hard for a lot of people and, and it's, you're bound to have mixed emotions. Some people just want to hear the music and they want to hear it played and, you know, and, and other people want to hear it from those people, but you know, if someone's gone, there's nothing you can do about it. So it's just one of those things where, you know, he did have the legal right to it, but, yeah. um, but I don't think that it's not like he ever, you know, projected this far ahead and, and was trying to keep them from using it. And so I think, I think that's kind of the thing to remember. So, you know, if people want to hear, um, you know, Eric and Rome play Sublime's music, then they should go. And if they want to hear yeah. um, Badfish or any of the other tribute bands play the music, they should go. Or if they want to, you know, anybody, I, you know, if they want to go hear Post Malone play a Sublime song like he does so often, yeah. go, you know, it's just, I think it's just a personal preference. And I, I don't, I don't, um, I personally don't judge anybody for wanting to go and hear it. I just am super yeah. glad that people still do. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go on any uh, forums and rage about Rome or anything like that, but I don't know that it'll ever fully sit well with me. And and just the name, it just seems like a simple uh, adjustment. I understand there's the notoriety of the sublime name. I'm sure it helps yeah. you know, sell concert sure. tickets and all that. That's but the whole point, Long yeah. Beach Dub All-Stars, everybody loved them. And, and that yeah. felt so right because it was all these people from the crew. I think that was the other thing was that Rome was just at least to the the sublime fan was just this random guy who was like half their age who just yeah. showed up and it was like what you're just going to take over where bradley left off like it just felt weird i don't know true true but i do think the important thing to remember is that it was not rome's idea you oh, know no. he was approached he was approached by yeah he was approached by bud and eric and um so i honestly i don't know rome i've never met him so i i don't know anything about him and i can't speak yeah i mean he's a talented musician i'm not gonna he is a very talented musician yes absolutely so so i can understand from his perspective i think anybody who's a musician if they were approached by someone and said hey you want to you know front this band that's pretty much legendary at this point i don't care well, it who sounds you like are. it was his favorite band too growing up well, or something you know, you know whether whether it was or not i can understand why he would want to do it and yeah, so of course it's a huge yeah, opportunity yeah absolutely absolutely well that's a super healthy approach to looking at that um Thanks. but it's interesting to hear it from you because again this is uh you know you hear so many things online or just through the grapevine sure. and you never know and half of it turns out to be incorrect or skewed yeah. to uh yeah. you know the wrong way Sure. Um, and everyone's welcome to their own opinion too. You know, I mean, yes. I'm, I'm certainly no, um, no one to say that someone should think a certain way or another about anything, but, um, yeah, definitely. It. Um, I want to know, this is much, much more of a positive one. Um, how amazing, <laughs> this is just an open-ended question, but how amazing is it to be able to watch Jacob follow in Bradley's footsteps, musically speaking, but also oh. forging his own unique sound in the process, you know? Yes. Thank you. Yes. I absolutely love it. And, and my favorite part is that last thing you said that he's finding his own sound and his own voice. And he is, <laughs> 
I seriously, I'm a proud auntie. I could go on for hours about Jacob. I think he has done such an incredible job of finding his own way in, you know, it would have been so easy for him to just play his dad's music and yes. everybody would come and listen and yeah. love it and tell him what a great job he's doing. You know, he was 11 months old when Brad passed away. Yeah. So the fact that he gets on stage and I have chills right now, he, he has the same mannerisms and it's not because he studied his dad. It's just because that's Genetic, in him, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's just, it's just who he is. And, and I, I can only imagine how easy it would have been for him to slip into his dad's persona and his dad's sound and all yeah. of that. But he has so much to say on his own. And, he, and I really believe that it shows the strength of his character that he was willing to stand up and say, you know what, I'll play some of this, but, but look, this is who I am. Look, this yeah. is what I want to play. This is, this is the sound I want to have. And, and he really is pursuing that with his band in such a great way. I mean, he's an incredibly talented artist and the other guys in this band are incredibly talented and they're making great music and it's not a sublime sound. It's not even in the reggae rock genre, but it's who he is and it's who they are. And, and the more they do that and the more they create their own sound, the more prouder I am of him because, because he's not taking the easy way out, you know? Yeah. And, and a lot of people look at it and see that, you know, he had this built-in audience, which he did. He absolutely did by his, by his very name and who his father was, people will go to law shows just to hear them play. But I will tell you this, a lot of people love his music who have never heard his father, don't even know who Sublime is. And the fact that he never had the opportunity like most growing bands do to play to small crowds, to play in bars where nobody's paying attention to them, make mistakes, go through their growing pains. You know, he did everything in the spotlight from the minute he stepped on the stage, he had a massive audience. And so I don't pressure. know, yeah. right. I don't know many people that could have endured that kind of pressure and really um, come out on top. And he has done that. And he did it at a very young age. You know, he, he started his band when he was 17 and wow. just, um, yeah. And so he's, he's overcome so much. And I think a lot of people get, get hung up on the fact that, oh, you know, it's so easy for him because he's Brad's son, but he, he doesn't have the, the freedom to make mistakes when no one is watching, you know, from the very first time he picked up a microphone, people were judging him. And most people don't have that, you know, when they're starting out, they can find their sound and make yeah. their mistakes and, and nobody's paying attention. And he's had to do it all in the spotlight. And I give him a huge amount of credit for that That's huge crazy. amount of yeah. credit. Yeah. And he's just, he's an incredible person. Like, even if he wasn't my nephew, I would be so impressed with him because he's just, he's overcome so much. And, you know, he's had his own struggles with addiction and he's been sober for over four years now. And he's just a remarkable human being. And, um, I can't talk about it too much. Or I'll start crying because it makes me so sad that oh. Brad isn't here to see what an amazing young man his son is, but he really is a remarkable human being. And I'm incredibly proud of him. That's so beautiful to hear you say all that. Yeah. Um, I and agree. He I think truly, he's awesome. He truly is Brad's biggest legacy. I mean, the music is wonderful and has touched, you know, hundreds of thousands of people's lives, but um, you know, real talk like Jacob is Brad's legacy. And, and it's the thing that I think he would be the most proud of. That's so cool to hear you say that. Um, I think they're really awesome for going in their own path. Like you said, because they did have that yeah. one, one EP that came out that had kind of a sublime sound and it sure. was great. It was awesome. But I really have yeah. been enjoying 
him taking this sonic journey of his own. Mm. And uh, what you said about the mannerisms and stuff is so cool because he does sing in really his own style, but he does have little things you catch here and there. Yes. Like he has that growl, that punk growl <laughs> that Bradley used to he do. Does. Yeah. And, and the ability to sort of transfer from that to this really like beautiful, um, eloquent sort of, you know, pretty singing and yeah. just kind of pivot between the two. And that's something I would say, definitely attribute to Bradley genetically, maybe. Yeah. Um, but wow, that's Absolutely. so cool to hear you say all that. Um, yes. Well, anyone who hasn't checked out Law, definitely go look them up because yes. you won't be disappointed. Absolutely. And they've got some new stuff coming out soon. I'm really excited. Ooh, about. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll keep an eye yeah. out for that then. Stay tuned. Oh, this is just kind of a fun one. Like a lot of these are just kind of like wanting to know stuff about Brad, you know, because where else mm -hmm. are you going to find out what his favorite? <laughs> well, you'll see. Um, okay. So obviously they did the Hong Kong Fooey cover and in yes. the beginning of the Salt Red Acoustic, that. there's Brad uh, talking about watching Star Trek and eating Chinese food. So <laughs> I'm curious. And I saw a post from you actually on Instagram where you got, you talked about waiting in line to see Star Wars with Brad. So yeah. I wanted to know what were some of his favorite <laughs> films and television shows? Oh gosh, that's a good question. We grew up watching a lot of TV. I think that's pretty common from, you know, broken homes that set the kids up in front of the TV. Um, we were latchkey kids from first grade, you know, both of our parents worked, mm -hmm. um, they got divorced when we were very young. And so we would come home and watch TV. And so we watched a lot of TV. Um, I honestly, I don't remember favorites. I don't, I just, I just know what we used to watch. And of course, Hong Kong Fui was one of them. And, um, and I do remember standing in line to see Star Wars at the Cynodome in Orange, California. Um, he, yeah, we just, you know, all the, all the typical stuff that was on in the seventies, we watched, I remember watching even like, you know, very young. I remember Sesame street and the electric company. And, um, and then as we got older, every, I think it was like Friday nights, we would watch the love boat and fantasy Island. And um, just, I don't know. It's just kind of the Saturday morning cartoons were a big thing. That was a very big deal. Uh, that was back when, you know, there were like five channels that yeah. you had to choose from. And on Saturday mornings, there was only one channel playing cartoons. And um, yeah, so, you know, I, I always, I always say I, if I had known he was going to die, I would have paid more attention. <laughs> but, you know, he was my older brother, two and yeah. a half years older. And, you know, he was doing his thing. I was doing my thing. And, um, you know, when we lost him, I was 25 and it came as a... Um, it was a surprise. It was a shock. We weren't expecting it. So my way of dealing with it was really just to, um, to kind of get all wrapped up in my life. I was married and, you know, started having kids and it was too hard. It was too hard for me to deal with the pain of losing him. It, it completely collapsed my entire world and I just couldn't handle it. So for a long time, for about 15 years, I just, I just did not really think about it unless I had to. Mm. And so when people started asking me all these things, you know, what was, what was his favorite, this or his favorite, that it's like, uh, you know, I wish, I wish I had made a mental note right when he died of all the things um, instead of waiting 15 years to really try yeah. to re-engage in those memories. Sort of blocking it out. Yeah. yeah. Because it was, and you know, even now it, it is hard to talk about and it's, of it's course. gotten a little bit easier since we started the foundation and, you know, now I've had to talk about it repeatedly over and over, but, mm -hmm. but for a long time, I couldn't, I, I just couldn't talk about it without falling apart. And, um, 
it was it was one of the single most defining factors of my life losing him and so uh, i'm so sorry yeah. you had to go through i know it goes without saying but you're hearing you well, say sure. all this i can't help but my heart goes out to you well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I certainly don't think that my situation is unique. I mean, you know, we all lose loved ones. We all lose people that, you know, that we think are always going to be there and it, and it shakes our world. And so I don't say those things because I think I'm special. It's just, that's, that's my reality. You know, even though I was already married when he died, I just, I, I felt such a sense of, of aloneness. Um, and so it just, I don't know. And so that was just my way of dealing with it. And I wish now looking back that I had dealt with it differently. I wish that I had embraced all of those memories instead of just trying to block it all out because it was too painful. Mm. But, um, you know, cause then I would have a lot more great stories to tell people. Um, but you know, every once in a while things will flash back and I'll be like, Oh my gosh, you remember this. And, um, you know, so I'll remember things like that. But, um, anyway, that was my long answer to get back to, no, I don't remember his favorite shows or his favorite movies, but, no, but I do okay. know that, you know, star Wars, I mean, everybody loved star Wars when it came out, it was like 78 or something. Well, and he mentioned so. star Trek too. So I thought maybe yeah. he was a sci-fi guy or something. You know, he, uh, he wasn't, uh, it wasn't anything unusual. In fact, we would watch Star Trek every once in a while, but it was not in the regular rotation. Mm. Um, for me, it was just cause I, I didn't understand most of it, but you know, I was again, younger and I'm talking about Shatner, um, like the old school stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, uh, next yeah. generation came out in like 89, I think. So I wasn't sure if, oh, if that's what yeah. was No, it was, it was the original old school stuff would have been what we would have watched, but, yeah. um, yeah. Hmm. Well, um, you were saying about, you know, um, what you went through losing him and how you're not unique. I know what you're saying, like there's other people who have dealt with loss from drugs and stuff, but your situation must have been especially torturous just in that, you know, here's this band and and they're working so hard and then he passes away and all of a sudden it's like the world is rubbing it in your face for the next year, you know, with all their successes, which is this bittersweet you know, of course, you're happy that the album's doing well and that people are loving his music, but you're also, like you said, you were trying to sort of, you know, excuse yourself from all that mentally. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. must have been really hard to have it kind of just all over the place to kind of hard to avoid it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Everything you just said was right on. Absolutely. It was very difficult to to get away from. And I didn't want to hear the music. I didn't want to be around anybody who knew him. Um, it, it definitely was not a healthy way to respond, but that's my reality. That's just, that was how I dealt with it at the time. And um, so it was very hard. Uh, I can't, I don't know. I think it was probably maybe almost 20 years before I could, you know, hear the music without getting really, really sad. And um, Mm. even now I still, I mean, obviously there's, you know, there's still the sadness, but it still trips me out. Like every time a song comes on the radio or I see someone wearing a sublime shirt or a bumper sticker on a car, I still get so excited because um, it's just, it's so cool. And I wish that he was here to see it and, and I still can't believe it, you know, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was really hard for a long time because I couldn't escape it. So I feel like in a lot of ways, I'm grateful for the fact that I can still hear his voice or, you know, see his image because it's so everywhere. But at the same time, I also can't escape it. And I do think that the way that we deal with grief is to learn to live without that person in our life. And, he's still such a big part of my life that, um, that I can't do that, you know? So there's, there's good and bad with, with losing somebody who, you know, is so in the public eye like that. I can't avoid it, which is hard. Cause sometimes I really just 
want to avoid it. You know, there's some days that, that I just can't, I, in fact, earlier this year, I went like a month and a half, not getting on Facebook at all, because I just, I just reached a point where I just couldn't, there was so much going on in my personal life and with some sick family members. And, um, there was just so much, I just couldn't. And so I, I, I just didn't go on Facebook for a month and a half. And, and it was actually really good for me. It was really restoring and it, it just gave me a chance to kind of heal a little bit more. And I think that that's how grief is, you know, it comes in stages and yeah. a, a good friend of mine told me years ago, there's no right or wrong way to grieve. And so I just, I just go with it, you know, and that's what I tell people too, when they lose somebody, like, don't ever feel bad for feeling bad, you know, like there'll be times when, when the grief is overwhelming and you just need to cry and be alone and hide from the world. And there's other times when I want to celebrate him, you know, and I think that that's all, all normal. I think we all feel that way when we lose somebody. Yeah. I mean, grief is like the deepest expression of love in a way it's it's showing what someone meant to you and and what a profound impact they had on you that they still resonate no matter how many years pass you know they're still on your mind it's it's yeah oh my god i again i'm so sorry um thank you i want to know speaking of life and death i know bradley was very intelligent and very well read and i've always Mm -hmm. been curious what his views were on spirituality and the afterlife Oh, that's a heavy question. I don't think anyone could totally answer that except for Brad himself. I do think that, you know, all those things are very personal. Um, There, let me think here. But he wasn't like a specific religion or, or was he? We were, we were, um, we weren't raised. Well, let me say how was the best way to say it. So we weren't raised with any specific sense of religion, Um, We would go to different Christian churches just um, very infrequently, but then after our parents divorced, when I was eight, Brad was 10, um, my mom and my brother and I all became Christians and with a very, um, you know, personal type of a choice. And, um, And for Brad, that he sort of you know, over the years kind of wavered with that and wasn't, you know, had just different levels of commitment, like, like we all do. I don't think that that's anything unusual. Mm. And so, um, I think, I think for a long time, he was kind of searching like we all do, you know, looking for answers, looking for something that makes sense. And, and I don't know if he ever really found that, but, um, but I do know that, you know, at one point he did identify, as a Christian and did feel like he had a personal relationship with God. I just don't, I couldn't, you know, possibly speak to, to where he was at. No, but he um, wasn't like a staunch atheist or anything like that. No, I think he just, he was always searching. We always had lots of interesting conversations about, you know, what, what, what was possible and what was out there and, you know, different religions and that kind of thing. Um, I'd like to believe that he knows the answer now and we're all waiting to find out, but um, yeah, he just, he was always, always seeking answers and always seeking some sort of um, clarity. I think like we all do. And, you know, when he was younger, he found that in Christianity. And I think as, you know, he went through his teen years, um, you know, things became a bit more complicated. And so, yeah. Yeah. It was a personal thing. I almost expected um, that he would be the type of person that would take little things from different religions, almost the way that he did with music. 
mm-hmm. because he seemed like such a curious soul, like you said, and, and always, you know, uh, reading books from what I've heard and always searching yeah. out knowledge. Very and- much, very much. So he was very intelligent, very brilliant, loved to sit and read and then love to talk about what he read. You know, it wasn't just enough to read it, but he (laughs) wanted discourse. He wanted, you know, he wanted to share his thoughts and he wanted to hear other people's thoughts on it too. And that was, that was one of my favorite things about him is that he was so well-read and so intelligent and could have, you know, a great conversation. And, you know, he, he was, (laughs) he was everything from, you know, wasted and barely able to perform to, you know, super intellectual and having deep conversations. So, um, you know, again, just, just a real person with all the different facets that go along with it, but definitely very intelligent. He was. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I'm sure I'm not the only one, many fans as well, but I've definitely, you know, dreamed of just hanging out with him and mm-hmm. picking his brain and chilling, you know, but it's, yeah. this is very cool and feels very close proximity. I'm so thankful that you're willing to share your time with me. My pleasure. Um, my dad, uh, used to help with the show when we were doing things in person, he was kind of my, my tech guy over to the side. And sometimes I would oh, ask cool. him something. Um, but with Zoom it's, and, and COVID and all that, it's not really necessary or safe in some cases for him to come over. Um, mm. But recently I started realizing I could still incorporate a question from him. So um, this is my dad's question. He all wants right. to know uh, how Brad first met Gwen Stefani and if they, were, <laughs> if they were close friends. And I wanted to know if they ever dated, which I've heard people <laughs> ask about a lot. I wish I could give you a definitive answer on that. We would have to ask Gwen to know for sure. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I don't, I I know that they came up together, you know, no doubt and sublime were so no doubt was from orange County. Sublime was from long beach. So, um, Gwen went to school actually just a couple blocks away from where I went to school. Cause I, I was going to a private school in high school. And, um, so, you know, where they were and where Brad was, was only about, you know, 20 minutes apart. So it's no big surprise that, you know, they knew each other because they were playing all the same, clubs and that kind of thing. And um, so honestly, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how they first met because at the time, even, you know, when he passed away, they were, they were still on the rise. So it mm. wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like, Ooh, you're hanging out with Gwen. Yeah, it was they just, were just, Oh, there's, there's yeah. that band, you know? Yeah. And so, um, but I, after Brad passed away, we had a tribute show, um, Let's see, it was January of 97. So about, I don't know, what's that? Was he enough already? Thing? Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And no doubt played. And, um, you know, so they were they were close enough friends that they wanted to do that. And I heard after, you know, of course, later, many years later, I heard the same rumors that I'm sure you did about, you know, did they or didn't they hook up? Yeah. And I always heard that, you know, when he was not dating someone, she was, and when she was not dating someone, he was, uh, so okay. it was, you know, Passing probably one of those night, things. Yeah. Right. Right. But mm. yeah, I thought you might have the the <laughs> I don't, I wish I did, but I don't. It's very cool. Still. Um, thank you for the answer either way. Sure. Um, I have some fan questions, like I said, off Reddit and I thought some of them were pretty cool. Um, Someone, uh, this was on Facebook, actually. Her name's Anne Margaret, and she wants to know what your favorite childhood memory was with Brad. And she added that her older brother passed away under similar circumstances in 2009. And she has so many Mm -hmm. fond memories of him, but there's one that really stands out. So she's wondering if you have one really particular memory in the same way. Mm, My heart hurts for her for losing her brother similarly. Yeah, that's why Um, I wanted to include it here because it just... Yeah, for sure. You know, I don't don't think there's any one thing that stands out. Uh, Like I said, it's just different times. There's different memories that'll hit me at different points. 
um, when we were very young, uh, before our parents divorced, he was, he was my world. You know, when I, when I was a baby, he, I was a late talker because he would talk for me. (laughs) So I hear the stories about, you know, how I would just like make a noise and Brad would be like, she's hungry. She's thirsty. She's tired. Like <laughs> Your interpreter. somehow she knew. Yeah. Like That's he hilarious. Knew. So, so I didn't have to talk. And then he went on a trip with our grandfather and then suddenly I had to start talking on my own. And so I just sort of started talking in these full sentences because I just, I knew how I just didn't need to before, I guess. Hmm. So, um, and my mom tells the story of her coming into uh, my bedroom. I was in the crib and Brad was peeing all over the wall. And she <laughs> said, Brad, what are you doing? And he points to me and said, she told me to do it. I couldn't even talk. So it would, you oh. know, just little things like that, where he, um, <laughs> that's just so, so Brad right there. We would go on road trips and, you know, we were either fighting and had the imaginary line in the back seat that we weren't supposed to cross, or he was entertaining me with different voices and he was very animated and creative and, uh, he would draw me little pictures. I mean, these are all the things that that um, are are much more vivid memories for me. Um, he was he was very protective of me, but then at the same time, you know, he was a older brother and he could be a pain in the ass. And then, you know, so it was like nobody else could be an asshole to me, but he could, you know, that kind of thing. It's, I think that's pretty typical. Yeah. It's sibling you know. stuff. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, you know, it's just that kind of stuff that, that I remember it's the, and I try to hold on to that too. And I think that's a big thing when you lose somebody, you have a mixture of, you know, the bad memories because they're, they're human, they're real people and yeah. there's always going to be bad stuff and there's going to be good stuff. So over the years, I've just tried to really focus on the good stuff and embrace the good stuff. And so it makes it sound like Brad was a saint, but I guarantee you, he was not. <laughs> he <laughs> seemed rambunctious at times. That's a good word for it. Yes. He could definitely be rambunctious, but um, he was, he was, he was wonderful. And he, he, you know, he was a big, obviously a big part of my life growing up. And, and that's why losing him was so devastating. And that's why my heart goes out to anybody who has experienced a similar loss. You know, Mm. Um, it just, it was hard. He and I were, we're the only ones until our, you know, our parents started to remarry and we have some step siblings and a half brother and that kind of thing. But um, you know, for the first, I don't know, 15, 17 years, something like that, it was just he and I. And so, um, you know, when our parents would marry different people and divorce and marry and divorce, it was just, it was he and I. And so I think that that's why losing him was such, um, was so devastating because he was like the one constant in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think if I look back on Brad, that's like the one thing that really stands out the most is just that he was, he was my sense of security. He was, he was my person. He was the one that I knew would always be there. You know, there were yeah, you always had your back. Yeah. There were step parents that would come and go and step siblings that would come and go, but, um, but he was always there until he wasn't. And that's, that was part of what made it so difficult. I remember feeling really moved when I uh, reached out to you a long time ago and I, I sent you like my demo CD from my high school band and all this stuff. Um, but then I remember I, it must've been when you had just gotten on Facebook because you gave this really nice response where you said that, um, the, the nice things that I had said about Brad's impact on me and, and my desire to play music and all that had got, you know, prompted you to start rummaging around and you ended up finding some letter that he had written you from camp. And I remember thinking that was so special mm. um, just to be a part of that. I was just, I don't know, it was really cool. Yeah, I've, I've unearthed a few of those things. I remember years ago, um, The Pier, which is, you know, a website that's real that they're fabulous with the whole reggae rock community. And they reached out to me um, and wanted, you know, some pictures or something in honor of his birthday or something like that, that no one had ever seen. And I'm like, well, there's, 
there's really not a whole lot that no one's ever seen, but you know, here's a letter he wrote me when he was in college. What do you think of this? You know, and I thought they'd be like, yeah, thanks anyway. But instead they published it and people are like, wow, this is so great. You know, and he's talking about coming back to Long Beach and playing with Bud and Eric and that they need to come up with a name for the band and all this kind of stuff. And um, yeah, but he would, he would, he would write me letters from college or, you know, when we were younger, when he would go away to camp and, um, we used to go to a summer camps a lot again, cause both our parents worked. So summertime they had to do something with us. And yeah. we were fortunate enough to go to this, um, horse camp in Utah, uh, wow. through a connection. Yeah. That, that my mom had through work. And so, um, we were really, really fortunate to be able to go there a few years, but the first, I think year or two Brad went and I was too young to go. And that was just devastating to me. I remember when he would be gone for like a month and I just, you know, thought my world was ending. I was like eight or nine years old. And it was like, how can he not be here? And I was a a sleepwalker and sleep talker. And my mom talks about how there were some times when in the middle of the night in my sleep, I'd be standing at the top of the stairs, just crying for Brad. But um, yeah, so he would, you know, write me letters and, and it's funny, some of his letters, he's like talking about what a great time he's having and other letters. (laughs) He's like begging me to tell mom and dad to let him come home. And (laughs) Oh man, he was a great letter writer. (laughs) He'd always include little pictures and illustrations and stuff, which at the time, you know, I thought he was, Rembrandt, but looking back, you know, they're just 10 <laughs> year old pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's so cool that you guys had such a strong bond because even earlier when you were saying, you know, people would get into your car and they would be forced to listen to sublime. There's <laughs> other siblings where that would be totally the opposite where they'd be like, Oh yeah, my brother's brand, you know, like the, the sister who would get <laughs> sick of hearing about it. Cause all their friends are like, Hey, your brother's the, the guy from sublime or, you know, <laughs> but it's cool that you guys were so tight. Yeah. It just, to me, it, it was, it was a no brainer. I, it didn't even occur to me to be anything but supportive. Cause I was just, I was happy for him. You know, it wasn't yeah. even about, it wasn't even about the fact that he was, you know, that it was sublime. Cause of course at the time, nobody, you know, that didn't really mean anything, certainly not to my friends at college, but, um, but to me, it was everything, you know, and I'd go to the, the little shows and, and it wasn't to, you know, hang out and party with the band. It was just to hear my brother play. And so I'd stand out there and, you know, he'd see me from stage and smile and I'd smile and I'd watch the set and, you know, give him a hug and then I'd leave. I wasn't there, you know, for the scene. I was just there because that was my brother. And I was so stoked. Yeah. I was just super stoked for him. Wow. And did uh, any of your girlfriends crush on him? (laughs) No, I, at the time, actually, by the time they started really playing, shows and stuff. Let's see, I got married in 91. So a lot of times I was just, you know, dragging my husband along with me. And um, I guess, you know, just part of getting married young and right out of college and stuff. But I don't, I don't know that I ever took any of my girlfriends to the shows because most of the time they were playing at, you know, little dive bars and it's, I don't know, it's tough to convince people to, you know, come to little dive bars when you're young. True, but, um, yeah. yeah. I don't really remember that. Although, you know, he was a, he was a good looking guy. He never had any trouble with the ladies. Seemed like a charmer. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that he was a charmer. I think you're giving a little too much credit, but oh, yeah. <laughs> he was, <laughs> he was, you know, obviously a, a handsome guy and, um, and never seemed to have any trouble. I don't think he felt super confident with the he ladies. Seemed charismatic naturally though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess I just, you know, I think of the younger Brad when we were like in elementary school and he was, you know, crushing on the popular girl in sixth grade and she, you know, didn't give him the time of day kind of stuff, but, <laughs> but, you know, he certainly didn't have any trouble when he was older. Yeah. Well, uh, being a rock and roll star, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that helped. That's for yeah. sure. 
Oh, I can speak to that. I know that uh, <laughs> when I was younger, I felt like I definitely had girlfriends that I felt were out of my league, but I could play guitar, you know, got there some bonus go. points for that. That's right. Um, some other great questions off Reddit. Someone wanted to know, I mean, obviously the self album, self-titled album released after Brad passed away, but this person wanted to know, sorry, his name was Adam J 311. He wants to know if you remember how Bradley felt about what he had recorded. Uh, and someone else added that they had heard that he, he had wanted to re-record the whole thing and he wasn't satisfied with it. But is there any truth to any of that? Uh, I think any musician would feel the same way that they're never quite satisfied. You know, you do the best that you can, but I think there's always a sense of, you know, there's something more I can do, or there's something more I want to put into it. Whereas the, you know, the listener and the fan, the audience can, you know, respond and love it. But I think a lot of times the artist still feels like, Oh, it could have been better. Oh, I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd done that. So yeah, exactly. So I think there was a lot of that. And, um, I think there were, you know, there were some things that he was proud of, but I don't, I don't know that he ever was completely satisfied with anything, but I think that's pretty common. Yeah. I mean, that's not a bad thing either. Keep you striving for the next next big thing. Yeah. Always pushing that goal marker, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, B-Ball 33 wants to know, what does Lord have this grilled cheese mean? (laughs) Which I've heard in many songs and I've always wondered myself, do you know? Well, I don't, well, I do. I don't know why he sang about it, except that a lot of things that, that he sang about just were like stream of consciousness things, you know, it's just like something yeah. in his brain and it comes out. And I do, I mean, as soon as I heard that, I knew exactly where it came from. So our, like I said, when our parents got divorced, I was eight, Brad was 10. We were still living with our mom. And um, a lot of times we, you know, she was having a hard time going through divorce and stuff. And you know, as a kid, that's difficult to understand as, you know, you get older and uh, now that I've gone through it, I totally get it. But at the time, you know, she was having a hard time. And so a lot of times Brad and I were left to fend for ourselves and we knew how to make two things. We knew how to make cream of chicken soup. It was the Campbell's cream of chicken soup and you dump it in. And if you're lucky, you put some milk in there. If not, you just do the water, got to do what you got to do. And the other thing was grilled cheese. And so we made, we learned from a very early age, how to make grilled cheese sandwiches. And, you know, thank God for bread and cheese or we would have starved because a lot of times that's all we had. And, you know, and, and there were times when we didn't even have that, but, but we did eat a lot of grilled cheese because that's what we knew how to make. We knew how to make grilled cheese sandwiches and cream of chicken soup. And so as soon as I heard him singing about grilled cheese, I wasn't surprised. I, <laughs> I thought it was funny that so many other people were like, why is he singing about grilled cheese? And I'm like, uh, cause that's what we ate. But um, you know, it sounds like some code word or something, you know, it really wasn't. I think it was it's just so one obscure. of those stream of consciousness things. Yeah. yeah he just kind of threw it in there because you know, grilled cheese was a big part of our growing up. We would have starved and died without it. It's the callback so, to youth. Yeah. I don't, I guess so. Yeah. I'm not really sure why he threw it in there. I would have loved to ask him, but I never did. That's still a great answer. Um, this <laughs> next one I included because this guy, it, it was pretty funny. Some of the stuff, like, first of all, his name is wizard of 40 ounce, like, wow. wizard, so it looks like wizard of Oz. With a 40 in <laughs> That's there. awesome. Uh-huh. Um, and then his question, he wanted to know um, how Brad was as a student. I've seen, I thought he did pretty mm. well, but if there was a particular subject that he excelled at, and he also pointed out that I know he learned science and history from KRS one. <laughs> I thought that was worth, <laughs> worth sharing. Awesome. Um, I, you know, I don't know if I would characterize him as a good student. As I said, he was very intelligent. And when he applied himself, mm. he did well. But, um, but I don't think that he got good grades for the sake of getting good grades. I think when he did well, it was because something 
stimulated his brain and made him want to try hard. Whenever he tried hard, he could do well. So was there a subject that did that more often than others? He loved history. Okay. I know that yeah. he liked, he enjoyed writing. Um, so, so I, you know, yeah, I know he enjoyed English, but you know, sometimes you get a teacher that's more hung up on the, you know, the details and the minutia and they take all the fun out of it. You know, I think that mm-hmm. happens a lot actually in, in the education system where you take a subject that maybe somebody would really love, but you know, you focus on the, just the, the detail things that don't matter as opposed to the creativity or the, you yes. know, the exciting you things. You don't like, grab anyone. Right. Yeah. Right. Like history can be so dull or it can be so fascinating and it just depends on the way it's taught. And I could so, not agree more. The older yeah. I get, the more into history I am. I find it so vibrant and interesting. Right. And, uh, but it's it not taught wonder. that way. Well, yeah. yeah sometimes it, there's just shit teachers out there too. Right. 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 Like so much of history. Life. I Right. It's just, you know, they, they just want you to memorize facts and figures and that mean nothing, you know, but when you tell the stories behind it, then it comes alive, you know? And, and so that's how he was too. If it was something that he was interested in, I know, you know, like when he got into college, he loved the philosophy classes and, you know, the things where he could really get into it and read something and talk about it and, you know, dissect it and that kind of thing. And those were, those were the things that he did well in, but he had the ability to do well. He just didn't always choose to, you know, because a lot of times if something didn't interest him or if he didn't like the teacher, then, you know, he'd just duck off in class and not do his homework. And, you know, and, uh, so when he had yeah, ADD, he, didn't he? He did. Yeah. So that doesn't help time. for, you know, mm, focusing no. on class though. Right. Right. And so, you know, and then of course, as he got older and, you know, was adding different substances in there, you know, it would just depend on how he was at the time or if he was skipping class or, you know, but, but he did have the ability to be a very good student. And some, sometimes he did well. And if it, it was just because it was either a subject that interested him or a teacher that he liked. Um, but yeah, I know we gave some of his report cards to um, Hard Rock Cafe and they, you know, posted them in the Hard Rock Hotel display that they did. And a lot of people were surprised to see that he did well, you know. Um, but yeah, he was he was very intelligent and and sometimes did incredibly well. Well, it really it comes down to a good teacher, doesn't it? Like it I, totally does. I yeah. mean, that's the the root of all education, really, is having someone who wants to be educating people and knows how to reach them. And yeah. so many and teachers don't fall into that category. <laughs> exactly. And honestly, I mean, I can't imagine being a teacher. I actually homeschooled my kids for 14 years and I, I'm not a natural born teacher. I, I cannot imagine teaching someone else's children. But um, so my, you know, I, my hat goes off to anybody who's an educator, but sadly, it, like you said, I mean, there's, there's good ones and there's bad ones. There's, there's ones that are really wanting to, you know, sew into the children and there's other ones that are just there for a paycheck and, so, true, you know, yeah. it's a crapshoot, whatever you get. But I do think that when you have a good teacher, it can make a huge difference. Oh, the great teachers out there. Yeah. My hat yeah. goes off to them as well. I just had a couple of teachers on um, a few episodes ago. They're a couple really? they are married and um, they were telling me just about how crazy it's been teaching virtually while their oh, kids yeah. are in virtual school in the same house. Oh. All four of them are on like different schedules trying to make lunch work. And oh my yeah, gosh, I can't imagine mayhem since the, the pandemic started for teachers. That's for sure. I'm sure. Yeah. And I mean, here in Ontario, we're still in some, uh, some sort of lockdown thing right now. Really? Yeah. We had a really bad third wave that kicked off. I want to say at the beginning of April. And uh, oh, I mean, no. it's not like martial law or anything, but it's, you know, all the essential stuff is the only stuff that's really open and uh, wow. you got to do curbside pickup for a lot of stuff, but yeah. you know what? Yeah. People have been through world wars. So um, right. yeah, we'll get just, through this. <laughs> we will. Absolutely. Yeah. Things are really opening up 
in Southern California. So we've been fortunate. I think the, you know, we saw, we had some, some pretty rough patches for a while, but things are really starting to open up, which is nice. Well, the U S took a very different approach to COVID than a lot of other countries. That's for mm-hmm. sure. Depending yeah. on where you are in the U S as well. I'm yeah, sure it, exactly. It yeah. But, exactly. uh, yeah, I think we're all happy and uh, that this is seemingly moving towards the end with vaccines yes. rolling out and all that. I, I, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel and I can't. For sure. Yeah. Haunted. Strange times, huh? Strange times. Definitely. Um, I just went to my first show last weekend for the first time in 14 months. Oh, good. It was glorious. That must have been fun. Yeah, (laughs) it was. It was really fun. I went to go see some friends play. They have a a tribute band called a sublime tribute band called burritos. Yes. I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. They, they formed a few years ago to start playing. They were the one very first ones that played a benefit show for us. And um, so, yeah, they still play every now and then and they do such a great job. I think it helps, you know, that they're, that I know them and they're, they're just, wonderful people. And so I love to hear them play Sublime's music and they're all incredibly talented musicians and that play in other bands. And, you know, they just come together every once in a while to play Sublime music. And every now and then they, you know, do something for the foundation. And a lot of times even shows that, that aren't for the foundation, they'll still like the show last week and they benefit, they uh, donated half the proceeds. And so, yeah, they're just, they're good people and very talented and it's, it's always fun. Um, but you know, again, like the first couple songs I was all, Oh, this is so great. And then, you know, I started getting emotional and, Oh, I wish Brad is here. You know, it's just, mm. it never, never ends, but, but yeah, it was fun. It was really cool to be out. It felt strange to be out after so long and yeah, it's weird. around it people. So cabin fever. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. I'm envious of you for being able to see a show. I'm sure you're going to line up a bunch more now that you can. Yeah, it was cool. It was really you're, cool. You're a big offspring fan. If I remember, right. <laughs> I am. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They had a new, uh, new song recently, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You know, I remember seeing something about that online and I'm, I'm ashamed to say I haven't checked it out yet. But, yeah, I used to be um, huge into them in high school. Uh, when Americana yeah. came out, I was all over oh, that CD. Such a great album. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I love them. I like their sound and I like their energy. And um, I actually met a really good friend when I went to a, an offspring show about 11 years ago. And um, it was the offspring and pepper and three eleven. It was such, yeah, it was a really fun night. And I, I, we were standing on the side of the stage for the offspring and there was this girl next to me and she had a big um, tattoo of the sublime sun on her, on the back of her neck. And um, you know, I don't always say something to somebody, but you know, if I feel like I'm supposed to, then I do. And so I just introduced myself to her and told her who I was. And she was like, Oh my gosh, I always thought I was going to marry your brother. I was so devastated when he died. <laughs> you know, she never met him. She was super young when he died, but she had a huge crush on him. And, and uh, so we've become really good friends. It's just, it's neat to me how many people, um, I've, you know, developed friendships with because of Brad's music. And, and to me, I, I see that as little, little threads, you know, that, that, that Brad is using to kind of, of course, I don't yeah. know, you He's know, just, just you. little, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and some of my, some of my closest friends now I've met because of Brad's music and, and those to me are just little gifts that he's given me. That's so cool. Um, I've only got one more Reddit question for you. It's uh, kind of cool though, because everyone knows, or it was seemed obvious that Brad was into NWA and Easy E because he <laughs> mentioned them, but uh, seemed that uh, kind of odd that he never mentioned like Tupac and and the Death Row Records guys that were so huge in California at the time. Was he into those artists as well, or 
All right. Well, I'm going to give you my perspective answer. And again, this is just my perspective. Yeah, I know you can't speak for him. I, I don't expect okay. you to know, you know. I will say in high school, he was not into hip hop at all. And oh. I was, and he used to give me so much shit for it, Oliver. <laughs> he would mock me mercilessly. And I was, you know, at a very young age, I was going up to LA, going to clubs and, and, and dancing and, uh, you know, just super into that scene, um, you know, among other things, but I just... I loved that vibe. And so I listened to a lot of that and he would give me shit for it. And then years later, he comes out with all these songs with hip hop. And honestly, <laughs> I, you hypocrite. I, right. Um, I do think a lot of that was, was Marshall's influence, you know, mm. Marshall Goodman. So yes. like just tied into a lot of that. Um, when that we did seems so our, chill. Oh my gosh. He's wonderful. I could talk to him for hours. When we had him on our podcast, I was just, I kept forgetting that I was supposed to be talking. I would just sit and listen. And then you'd get to the end of his question. I'm like, Oh shit, I'm supposed to say something now. <laughs> he just has so many great stories and has so much knowledge and information. And he really, I think was the, was a lot of the catalyst for, you know, some of that stuff that got um, infused into sublime sound. Um, mm. But, you know, but I think that that caused Brad to dive deeper into it. You know, yeah. he just, when it was presented the right way and he, he, you know, when he was ready to receive it and, you know, in high school, he was not, he mocked me for it, but when he well, got older, yeah, when it's your younger down. sister versus some cool dude, you totally. just met or whatever, you know? Yes. Yes. So, you know, when I'm like wearing out two copies of DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. And he just thought that was hysterical or LL Cool J or like all this stuff that I was listening to. And yeah, he it's all just great gave stuff. me so much. Yeah. Run DMC and like all this. And he gave me so much shit about it. I can't even tell you. And then, you know, he, he ended up incorporating it into his music, but I do think that, that a lot of that was, was Marshall's influence that, that then, you know, that caused Brad to embrace it and, and to investigate it more and, to dive into it and you know the and the the directions that he dove just happened to be you know KRS one and NWA and all that. And so I don't think he intentionally left out any of the other stuff. I think it's just that's that was how it expressed itself in the music. You know, yeah. like a lot of it was just I think we tend to think that everything that he sang about was very intentional. Whereas I think a lot of times there were things that was just like, off hey, let's do this. Yeah, off the yeah. cuff, exactly. Or, you know, stream of consciousness or, yeah. you know, like um in what I got when he talks about um, you know, I'm uh, when my mom hits the bottle and goes right to the rock, like my mom never did that. You know? like <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. Yeah, but that was just something that you know, whatever was in his head, or maybe it but someone's or mom it did. Flowed. In, right in exactly. the neighborhoods, and and thank uh, you. Yes, yeah. someone's mom did right, but it wasn't yeah. his. So you know, a lot of times it was just whatever worked, whatever he was in his brain at the time. You know, maybe a story that he'd heard or something he'd been talking about or whatever. You know. And so I think a lot of that, that hip hop element was introduced by Marshall and then, you know, he pursued it and, and, you know, kind of latched onto certain things or certain artists. And, and so I don't think he was intentionally excluding anything, but he just, he was never like fully immersed in the hip hop culture is kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. Well, Brad was such a storyteller and I think he that was, always shines yeah. through all of his music. Yeah, for sure. Storytelling. But, you know, sometimes there was truth and sometimes there wasn't. And I think that that confuses a lot of people. Yeah, that's the thing. Because they want to find truth in people, all of it. 
people want to just assume everything is like first person, but sometimes right. songs are just a story or you're writing from the perspective of someone else or, you know, exactly. It's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I have one last question I want to ask you and it is not related to Brad. It's a question we've been asking everybody this season at the end of every episode. And it's, if you could have dinner with someone dead or alive that you've never met before, who would it be and why? Oh, that I've never met before. I, I had to put that in Brad. because I didn't yeah. want people yeah, saying their grandma or, or anyone else who, who they just I want to reconnect with. Back. Um, boy. That's a good question. Maybe Frank Turner. <laughs> oh, right? you already talked to him, but having dinner. I did talk with him. I know. Intimate, it was know? it was such a fangirl moment for me. Um, you know, I don't know. I I do, I mean, you mentioned grandparents, and so immediately I think of my grandparents. Um, so my dad's parents were um Louie and Mackie. So Louie obviously is who the dog was named after. Yeah. And then my dad, um, Brad and I got my dad a um, golden retriever at one point and they, and he named her Mackie after grandma. So we had dogs named after my dad's parents. Um, they were wonderful people and, and I miss them so much. And I was with both of them when they took their last breaths. And uh-huh. um, I just, I just really, you know, I lost them when I was younger and I wish that I had their wisdom. I think they had a really, amazing way of looking at life and of relating to people. And they were really the, the patriarch and the matriarch of our family, of our extended family. So um, honestly, I think if there was anybody that I could spend some more time with, it would be my, my dad's parents, because I do, I do miss them so much. And I remember um, just wishing that, that I had made more of the time that I had with them. You know, it's hard when it's your family and you feel like, oh, they'll always be here. And, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, but there's so many times when I look back and I think, wow, they really did something incredible by, by bringing so many people together and, you know, uniting our, our, our extended family and, and creating all these wonderful memories that, that all the kids have growing up with the music and the dancing and the singing. And, you know, it was just, it was such an incredible, um, incredible thing. You know, there were, uh, there were a lot of ups and downs, obviously, uh, growing up, but that's something that I will always look back fondly as these big family parties. And, and it was all because of my dad's parents, because they were really, they kind of connected everybody together. So I think, I think if well, I had to choose anybody, I would choose them. And if you, if they passed when you were young, it would be so cool to speak to them as an adult yourself now and have like an actual adult conversation, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, given yeah, how sincere that. and beautiful that was, we can definitely break the rules of that question. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. That was very, very nice and touching. Um, thank you so much again. This has been really cool. Like I was uh, beyond, I wouldn't say nervous, but I was like emotional about this because of how much Brad's music has meant to me and, and mm. just how surreal this is. I, and I say that a lot because I've talked to a lot of people that I can't believe that I'm talking to, but um, this one was really, really deep for me. So, uh, and you made it so comfortable, like, all I could think of when the computer died and we were sorting all that out was, wow, like I'm so not tense at all anymore. And I can't wait to go <laughs> back and continue this conversation. So um, thank you so much, Kelly, for your time. I will make sure to link everything relevant that we've talked about, the Noel Family Foundation, the album you guys have out, everything else that we've talked about. So um, thank you so much. And I hope to talk to you again. Thank you, Oliver. I genuinely had a really good time talking with you. You're a great guy. And I, I loved the questions and I loved the time we had together. So thank you. I really feel feel honored to be on your show. Thanks so much. Thank you. It's so cool to finally talk after watching each other's kids grow up for a decade. On Facebook. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> We're like extended family. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh my God. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, don't be a stranger. 
Absolutely. Have a great one. Okay. Bye. Bye.